Jay, are we on Zio yet? No. <sighs> we have one more comic to cover. I promise it will be good. You said that when we first started watching Mighty Morphin. I never said that. I said it would be interesting to do a podcast with you. You still didn't get the donuts. Four! Kitty Soros J. And I'm what Kim would say to her future self, Ashley. And this is Ranger's Plane, where I, a lifelong Power Ranger fan, take Ashley, a newbie, through the entirety of Power Rangers, which include the alternate timelines and comics. Well, the most recent comic. Yeah. Uh, actually, before we get into this, I just kind of wanted to preface why this episode is coming out late, is because we tried to record this episode once before, and, uh... Well, the audio was unusable. It was very unusable, and we're actually recording currently in my room on our new mic, so it's very sensitive and we'll pick up everything. Yeah, so we are still kindly working out the kinks because we had to get a new mic because we are moving soon, and then, like, we had to re-record this episode because the audio was unusable, not on this mic, on our previous setup. And uh, also, Jay was extremely sick when we recorded the last episode, so he was kind of brain dead, so I think this all worked out for the better. Yeah. But uh, with that out of the way, uh, again, apologies that this episode's coming out late. Thank you guys for your patience. Um, But yeah, let's get into um, Go Go Power Rangers. Well, first off, it's a retelling of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, but as a teen drama, meaning somewhere in the middle of 2017's Power Rangers movie and the original Mighty Morphin. Reasoning for doing Go Go and Mighty Morphin is actually because of Shattered Grid. Shattered Grid requires up to Dino Charge knowledge, so we're going to hold off until we reach the end of Neo Saban, New Saban, whatever you want to call that era, to go into this. Now, Gogo does cross over with Shattered Grid, but however, it's within its own it's within that own universe and is a self-contained story, so it didn't feel like you had to know too much of what was going on in the Shattered Grid storyline in order to read the how it crossed over in a Gogo. Um I will say I did read issue 40, which starts the Necessary Evil arc, and I'm interested to see where that goes, but we'll talk about that in a couple of years' time. Yes. Uh, this story wraps around Arrival Day, which is actually never seen, which is pretty interesting. Yeah, usually you either get flashbacks of the Rangers before Arrival Day, or rain, or basically everything that's happened since then. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting we haven't seen Arrival Day. Yet. Important emphasis. So... I guess it's up to me to talk about the creative team for this book. So a- Ashley knows how to pronounce names better. <laughs> I wouldn't say better. But anyway, so our main team for the first three volumes was writer Ryan Parrott with artist Dan Mora, who did some work on the WWE comics at Boom as well, uh, with colors by Raul Angulo and letters by Ed Dukeshire, who I believe also did... I think Dukeshire and Parrot also worked on the Aftershock comic that we briefly talked about in the uh, 2017 Power Rangers episode. Um, now, from Volume 4 onward, so that would have included the um, the Color Swap storyline and the, um, the most recent storyline with Alpha 1, uh, that art was done by Eleonora, Eleonora Carlini. And on the Forever Rangers um, special that just came out, uh, Francisco uh, Mortarino also helped with the art. Um, So let's start with our characters. Uh, Trini Kwan is going to be our first because we started out with Trini last time when we did Mighty Morphin. And she actually has a character in this. Yeah, what? What's happening here? I mean, but yeah, this is definitely, like, the most developed Trini we've seen so far. I mean, obviously we haven't really read the Boom Mighty Morphin comics. But based on, like, between the original Mighty Morphin, uh, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers Pink, and this comic, this is, like, the most developed training that we've seen so far. And she even has a character arc. She missed the 2017 movie. Oh, well, yeah, and the 2017 movie as well, because, well, she kind of got the short end of the stick with development there. Uh, Yeah, she, um, we find out she's a military brat, and she's kind of just has hang-ups on moving from place to place. Angel Grove being kind of the latest place. It sounds like it's more permanent, though. Yeah, like, I don't know. It sounds like her dad was in the military, so, like, it seems like they've, like, he's retired and they've just settled down in Angel Grove. Yeah. And, um, she just has hang-ups of, like, friendships and stuff like that because it's, like, she just would move to the next town. So she's actually pretty closed off in a little, like, not sure how to handle uh, social situations, too, as with her crush with Jason. But yeah, military brat, backstory, in my Power Power Rangers. Rangers. More likely than you think. (laughs) 
So I will say that, like, we both really did like the story with Jason, uh, but it feels like this, the comic hadn't really developed Trini beyond... I have a crush on Jason. I don't know how to deal with it. Fight me, bro. Yeah, that well, that does happen. Like, her solution for flirting with him at one point is to go out and train. Yeah. It's, it's like that scene in Captain Marvel with, um, uh, with Yon-Rog and Veers being like, I can't sleep, want to fight? Yeah. Except, you know, that wasn't flirting. That wasn't flirting. That was just how Trini flirted. Yeah. I liked the romance between them, particularly because Jason did play off more to be the romantic love interest, and it was Trini that was doing all the, like, lifting to go towards that instead of being the guy. But yeah. it just kind of is, like, a little weird that the comics just basically, like, we don't know what to do with Trini, let's just make her mac out with somebody. Yeah, um, but I will say that, like, it was nice to see her have relationships with the other rangers. Yes, yeah, especially like, Kim and Billy. Yeah, because from the jump, like, much like the, the TV series, like, she is, has been friends with Billy for, it seems like she's been friends with Billy for a long time. Yeah, and, and they, in fact, go to homecoming together because, like, they don't have dates. But I don't think Billy didn't want to go to homecoming or something, and mm-hmm. then, like, Trini just convinced him to go because she didn't have a date. Yeah, something like that. And then, um, also I like the fact that, like, her and Kimberly have a, you know, more of a friendship than just be like, we're both the girls on the team, so we're automatically best friends. Best friends forever. Yeah. We'll go to girl things. Go do girl stuff. <laughs> um, but yeah, I also like the fact that, like, you kind of get to see more, even with all of, like, our critique of the story, like, her storyline, I like the fact that you see more of her character, like, the fact that she named all of the Zords. Kitty Soros. Oh, I love Kitty Soros so much. Um, which was a, just a good way of kind of making fun of the fact that neither Mastodons nor Sabertooth Tigers are dinosaurs. Yeah. Um, and, like, you get to see her be more smart. Like, you know in the TV series, especially from season two, well, the parts of season two she was in, that she was very smart and capable. Probably the second smartest person on the team behind Billy. Yeah. Uh, but you get to see it here more. You see how smart and capable she is. Um, you see that she's still afraid of heights. She's very funny. Like, one of my favorite lines in it is, abs like a monster truck tire. Yeah. And then, like, you get to see her be kind of a team leader at one point in uh, Volume 4, um, when they specifically get trapped on this alien planet, tracing after Rita and her and Jason swap powers. Mm-hmm. Well, in Power Rangers, it's more like you swap colors and yeah. weapons. But, um, so she gets to be team leader there, and it's really cool. And, um, also the fact that she was the only person who was 100% right about Alpha 1. The fucking killbot. We'll <sighs> get to him. Yeah, we'll get to him. But, yeah, it's like, it was really nice to see Trini be... A teenager and be a character. And more than just Asian girl. Asian girl, or troubled girl we're not gonna really go into her that much yeah but yeah speaking of girl let's get to kimberly kimberly hart um this one was kind of interesting in the fact that instead of in the original series where her parents were already divorced Mm -hmm. you actually get to see the divorce happen and that's kind of her big thing uh is dealing with that home pressure yeah uh, as well as having a boyfriend but we'll get into matt yeah, so, like, there's so much of it that deals with her parents splitting apart and her trying to keep it together, and oftentimes she, you see her in the position where she feels like she has to be the adult in the situation because her parents are acting, well, like, teenagers. Yeah. And that, how much pressure that puts onto her when she's already going through, like, a fuck ton of shit, just yeah. to put it bluntly. Um, but, yeah, initially, like, she doesn't get along with all of the rangers, specifically Zack. Because um, when you see that they first actually meet in person, or rather when they first get introduced to each other, Zack hates her because of an incident at a restaurant where her parents were arguing. And she tried to, like, get them to stop arguing with each other. So she just sort of complained to the nearest employee about her salad, and that happened to be Zack the busboy. And he got fired on the spot because he was assumed to be... Uh, being disrespectful to the patrons. So that gets them on a rough page because he kind of just considers her the crazy salad girl who got lost in his job, even though she did not want to do that at all. And I will say, I don't remember them going over, like, them reconciling. 
But it does seem like they've reconciled later through being rangers and everything. Yeah, it seems like that circled around um, Arrival Day because I think their initial introduction to each other happened shortly before then. Yes. Um, so it's nice to see her be like, you know, the fun girly girl that she was in the TV series and what she's been like in most every other adaptation. But she's also a little snarky. She's a little snarky. And um, I, I also want to point out uh, her class status, because uh, in the series, she comes from, like, upper, like, lower class. Like, it, it's very obvious that, like, her family may be, like, very well off blue collar. Yeah, so probably, like, she's either middle, middle class or upper middle class in the TV mm. series, but here it's very obvious that she has rich parents. Yeah. And, uh, I think her dad might be a little bit racist. Yeah, calling, calling Zach's son, essentially. Yeah, I mean, but he's a rich white dude. What else do you expect? Yeah. But she, she, de- she deals, basically it's like, the, the, like you said, the divorce kind of happens when she's dealing with a lot in her life. Like, she's dealing with school, she's dealing with her boyfriend going through a lot of shit throughout this. Matt, Matt, I actually worried was gonna get fridged. Yeah, same here. And we'll talk about Matt in a little bit. Um, but, like, she, she goes through a lot with Matt to the point, you know, they break up, uh, and has to deal with their breakup, she has to deal with being a ranger, balancing her life, and then, like, her parents are essentially acting like teenagers, and it's really annoying. Oh, and also in the typical teen movie fashion, uh, she has a future version of herself come back from the future to try and kill them. Yeah, Ranger Slayer, Ranger Slayer Kimberly Hart. Yeah, so this is where the whole um, Shattered Grid part of the story comes in, is that there's a, so there's a future version of Kim that comes from a dark future where Tommy has gone full evil and becomes uh, known as Lord Dracon, and he's taken over the world and killed a bunch of rangers. Yeah. Um, so Kimberly in this future is a freedom fighter with a sweet, sweet lesbian haircut. She is total queer woman bait in this, like. And her design. I don't mind. (laughs) (laughs) Not a lot of people mind either. I remember everyone reacting to her going like, oh, yeah, like all my, I I know so many bi girls and lesbians, so they were very happy with her design. Yeah, it's a really good design. Like, I'd have to, I think Dan Mora designed that one as well. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I think, I'll, we'll double check and put it in the show notes. But yeah, he deserves all the props for that. Um, So the thing about Kimberly is that she kind of, like, in the... Ranger Slayer Kimberly in the Necessary Evil, like, arc, at least in this part, not Necessary Evil, Shattered Grid. In the Shattered Grid part of the story, I'm already getting ahead of myself, in the Shattered Grid part of the story, she's kind of, she was brainwashed. Kind of norted. She got norted by Lord Dracon in, like, the first couple of issues, and then she snaps out of it, and after they kind of fought, and I think, like, Kimberly electrocuted her? yeah. Um, I, yeah, so she gets electrocuted, unbrainwashed, and then you think that she's, like, a Terminator who's come from the future to kill Tommy, but then, like, she does find Tommy, and it is kind of a Terminator mission, but she hits him with, like, a healing arrow? Yeah, something that, like, absorbs into his body, and she's like, you'll thank me later, please remember something. So, like, I guess she's trying to keep him from going down the path of evil and keep him on the path of the light or mm-hmm. righteousness or whatever's not a Sabrina the Teenage Witch reference there. Or Sabrina... Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, rather. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, also interesting about Ranger Slayer Kim, besides just sort of, like, her general disposition and story and the fact that she's already dealing with a fuck ton of loss even before, like, we see her in the comic... Because uh, it is implied that uh, Jason and, was it Billy, Billy were killed by? Billy were killed by Lord Darkon. Dracon. Dracon. I want to call him Darkon. Yeah, it's, there's no, there's no R there. There's no extra R there. <laughs> Shut up, I have dyslexia. That's true. Um, But yeah, like, besides that, I think, was it Zach that also got killed? I don't remember. I don't remember either, but it seems like a lot of people got killed. Um, Matt was killed like, died in front of her from, like, his injuries. Yeah, and that spurs a lot of what prompts Kimberly to go back into the past. 
Um, but anyway, another thing that you get to see about her is that she gets to be, like, friends with Bulk in the future. Yeah, like, her and Bulk are really close, and Bulk is actually, like, a legit freedom fighter. Yeah, which was interesting, and it's like, it, you, it comes from such a long way from, like, you know, the original Power Rangers series, or one of Kimberly's worst nightmares is Bulk and Skull turning out to be good people. Yeah. Um, but also, like, you get to learn about Bulk here is that he's actually interested he was interested in history yeah and so like he talks about like how much he loved history class and like learning about the crimean war and like when kimberly future kimberly sees bulk in the past she gives him a hug and calls him magellan yeah it was really sweet and bulk of course in the in the past is like what the fuck what's going on here why is kimberly's like cousin i think they called her cousin or cousin yeah it's just hilarious to me it's like yes my cousin that looks exactly like me but, you know, it's it's Power Rangers where, like, all future descendants look like their past selves. We will get to that in Time Force. <laughs> but, yeah, well, speaking of, like, big brains and learning stuff, let's go to Billy. Uh, Billy? Um, he hasn't changed too much. He's still the genius of the group. But he's able to be more of a teenager and he doesn't use the big SAT words. In fact, one of the funny things he does say is, like, Boobs! We're talking about boobs! Yeah, so Billy says a swear. I mean, he doesn't say, like, fuck or anything, but... Billy says a swear. Will Billy say a, a swear? swear? Let Billy swear. swear! Yeah, if you guys haven't watched a good enough summary of, um... Kingdom Hearts, that's it. Good enough summary of Kingdom Hearts, you should go and watch that. That's where we get most of our memes from on... To each other. Yep. Yuck. But yeah, anyway, also like the fact that Billy is kind of the baby of the group, where like everyone else is kind of 15, 16, he's very much 14, and like the fact that he was drawn to look like a 14-year-old. Yeah, like his face was very babyish, and it goes into like later in the comics when you see him in Forever Rangers too, but his face was very babyish, he had like, um, kind of shaggy hair, hair. you know, he definitely looked like he was... Going through a growth spurt, essentially. Yeah, so he's, like, lanky and babyish and scra- scraggly hair. And when he appears later in Forever Rangers, he, and it's, I think at the start of the new school year, uh, he actually has, like, he cut his hair. He looks more like Billy in the, in the movie, not in the movie, uh, in the TV series. series, yeah. We talked about a little when we talked about his relationship with Trini, but it's really nice to see them be friends and go to homecoming together um, and kind of get to see that maintained from the original TV series and actually go a little bit deeper into it about the two of them being besties. I Also, one of my favorite, it's kind of a small bit, but my, one of my favorite bits in homecoming when he was going for his like tuxedo fitting with, uh, I think, Zach. I, I know Zach, but I think Jason as well. I think Jason... No, oh no, Matt. The fake Matt was there. The fake Matt was there. That's correct. So, um, he just kind of did poses in his tuxedo, and it was really cute. Yeah, it was really adorable. And, like, one of the reasons he says he doesn't want to go to homecoming is there's an MST3K marathon that night, and I asked Jay what he thinks... Billy's favorite MST3K movie is, and he couldn't come up with an answer. I couldn't come up... I do think maybe his favorite, um host is probably joel no that would make sense joel is probably his favorite host i'm definitely thinking a joel era episode yeah it's probably his favorite legit and i don't know mst3k as much as you do like i i I mostly just like space mutiny yeah i quote so much mst3k around ashley (laughs) like i've started picking it up but anyway um so most of billy's arc in at least the first few uh arcs of Gogo is that he's dealing with possibly going to um, Promethea, which I learned is something from Shattered Grid, the Shattered Grid era of Power Rangers that we'll probably get into, but basically gets a big opportunity to kind of be in an internship, fellowship job situation instead of, you know, being a high school student. And so that would be a big deal for him because it would be, you know, higher status, more money, you know, getting a chance to kind of expand his horizons. And so he has, you you see his dad, and I don't think his dad's a single dad, but it's mostly just to see his dad versus, like, his mom. Yeah. Um, And his dad sort of is, like, he's 
he kind of originally does this speech of like, I wish I had a jock for a son. And you're like, oh, no, not one of those dads. And then he kind of turns it around and he's like, I just want to support you in anything, even though I kind of don't understand you. Yeah. So Billy is kind of dealing with this pressure of like, does he continue to be a ranger and stay in Angel Grove and stay, you know, a student at Angel Grove High? Or does he go to Promethea and chase these new opportunities and potentially give up a lot of what he's known about his life? And another interesting thing was he actually also doubted himself as a ranger, too. Um, It was, like, he basically said, like, he said he's not a fighter. And um, before he mentioned the Promethea thing, uh, internship, he actually talked to the rangers about saying, hey, why don't we just give my position to Matt? He obviously knows what he's doing. Yeah, and it causes a lot of conflict because he can't really talk about the Promethea thing because I guess he doesn't feel comfortable with it. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, he ends up not going through with it, partially because of his status as a ranger and thinking maybe he could do more as a ranger than he could at Promethea. Um, But ultimately, his dad understands and tells him, it's your life, it's your decision to make. And it's like you're young, so... Yeah. And my favorite thing is kind of the end of that arc is his dad gets a beat-up old, like... Volkswagen Beetle and is like, yeah, let's make the rad bug. <laughs> I mean, his dad doesn't know it's going to be the rad bug yet, but yeah. we're going to get the rad bug. And I just was like, you don't know anything about cars, dad. It's like, yeah, well, you know, I figured with your intelligence, we'll figure it out. Yeah, it's really cute. Yeah. Uh, yeah, basically, Jay wants to adopt him. I want to adopt this Billy so much. <laughs> I love him. So another interesting thing that we see with Billy and... Gogo specifically is his relationship with Skull. Yeah, Skull was his best friend growing up, and you know what happens is sometimes you just kind of fall out with people in high school. Yeah, and it's like, unfortunately, like you, so far we haven't really seen their relationship mend. Like Skull just kind of thinks that Billy is, you know, presumptuous, yeah, or egotistical, or. Basically, since Billy is super smart... Stuck up. Yeah, since Billy's super smart, he thinks he looks down on everybody, but Billy also doesn't like the fact that Skull just kind of turned into a bully and doesn't really let anybody else kind of see who he is as a person. Yeah. Which we'll get into that when we get into Skull later about one of his character bits. Yeah, though it does, like, there is one part where, like, Billy, when he's the Blue Ranger, does call out Skull for all of his, like, shitty behavior. Mm-hmm. And that kind of ends up kickstarting a lot of, like, growth for Bulk and Skull as characters, which is interesting. Uh, is that he says something like, Rangers are always watching. Yeah. Always. always. <laughs> ASMR. <laughs> but, uh, now, like, we've talked about how great Billy's character design is. Now we're getting to the Shonen Syndrome characters. Oh my god. So if you don't know about what Shonen Syndrome is, it's kind of something my friends and I developed of, Old shonen in the 80s, uh, you had to have a protagonist that was a teenager. So you had to basically have a 14-year-old. So to get around it, on um, the fact that they would normally have an adult in that role, they would just basically make really jacked-looking adult, like, teenagers. Like, yeah, this guy is 14. He's built like a Mack truck. Yeah, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, what little I've seen of it, is especially guilty of this. Saint Say is another one. Mm-hmm. Or, you know... Yeah, it's something that's especially prevalent in shonen manga, and, like, it's a really obvious here with Zack and Jason. But we'll start with Zack. Yeah, Zack is, um, he's not just a black guy in this, which what? is great. So what you get to see about Zack is that, um, especially Zack in the TV series, he was always pretty charismatic. I mean, especially Walter Jones helped with that, and we should know, we've experienced Walter Jones in person. We have experienced dancing with him in person. He is a very charismatic dude. Yeah, without even saying a word. Like, that's how charismatic he is as a person. So, like, it's nice to see Zack, the character, get to keep that charisma, and so, like, so when you introduce when you're introduced to Zach, like he's one of the most popular, charismatic guys in the school. Like he plays football, but he's like vo- he's also voted class clown. He's, he's kind of like he's the all American guy. Yeah, and like he's also like kind of in the know with things because he talks about like liking EDM at like the beginning of the book or something like that. So he's not just you know dumb jock. He's more of like he's. The, he's one of those guys at school that even if he's super popular, he gets along with everyone. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, he also starts with him, kind of starts with him, that he lost his job before he became a ranger. Uh, which we talked about that with the arc with Kimberly, which it mm-hmm. seems like, yeah, that at some point they did make up around Arrival Day, which I would have loved to have seen that. Maybe we'll see it in the future. Yeah, we may see that in the future. So, the thing about being kind of like the all-American popular boy who's on the football team and everyone likes, Zach ends up butting heads with Zordon a lot. Yeah, there's kind of this this jealousy and just kind of his little character arc, because uh, we'll get to this in a moment, is that he doesn't, he's like, hey, why was Jason picked the leader and not me? Yeah, and that that is a little bit of a thing for him, especially in the first arc or two. I think they finished that up in the first arc of um, Go Go. Um, but yeah, he kind of wonders why he wasn't the leader, and he kind of has that position on the team as being like, I mean, obviously with Power Rangers, it's very much being about the team versus just the leader, or, well, it really should be. Um... And, but you kind of do see him be kind of, like, as he butts heads with Zordon a lot. He, like, about what team, what direction the team should go in. And he's kind of, like, the second in command almost in a way. And which he kind of was in the series, but it really kind of, he, he was the Lancer in the series, but it didn't just go that deeply into it because it was Mighty Morphin. Yeah. And I think also here is that he was, he didn't get too much in terms of, like, character arc. Yeah, he was, he reminds me a lot. It's not that in Kuga, Godai goes through a character arc himself. Mm-hmm. He does. He goes through an internal struggle, but he kind of is more of the rock-stable character for a lot of the other characters uh, around him, like Ichijo and everybody, to grow more around him, and that's what Zack kind of is. He has a lot of minor, like, arcs to go through, but he's kind of the stability character. Yeah, and I, I hope we'll see more of him in the future. I know, like, the next arc of Gogo is going to involve a lot with Tommy. Um, but I'm interested to see what kind of happens there going into the future, especially when you introduce kind of another, like, leader type to the group. But that doesn't mean he's not boring. No, exactly. And, like, he actually has some of the best one-liners in the series. They go to putty, haven't Trini? Oh, my God. I about fell out of that line. Like, when Trini asked, like, what happens to the putties after they, like, you know, get kicked. Um, also, like, the we've talked about the color swap um, arc. And there is actually, so when they go through this, this portal to... I forget the name of the planet right now. It starts with a B. I'm going to put it in the show notes. Trust me on this. Um, So when they go to the planet and they get their colors swapped, he actually ends up in pink. And he doesn't know how to fire that arrow War shit. Um, Doesn't even know where, like, the energy arrows come from, which I don't think that question ever got answered. Yeah. But he looks really great in pink. He does. Um, And then, like, you also kind of get to see a little bit it kind of dropped off a little bit um, towards the end of, like, Volume 5. But you got to see him kind of have, like, this little bit of a romance arc with Violet, who was a character that only showed up in one episode of Mighty Morphin. And she was infatuated with Billy and made a Billy statue, and then that became, like, clone evil Billy, and it was really weird. Oh, yeah, the episode with the disc. And and then uh, Kimberly was like, hey, what's this for? Yeah. Which that's still one of my favorite Kimberly moments in Mighty Morphin. But, yeah, so Violet here, she clearly has a crush on Zack. And she's, Zack makes it clear that he's only going to go to homecoming with whoever asks him out. And Violet is the only person to ask him out. And does so through riddles. Yeah. And uh, Billy was the one who helped figure it out for Zack. Yeah, it was really cute. And, like, definitely better than Angela. Oh, God, the Angela stuff. Uh, Which is... Flashing back to the 60 fucking episodes. <laughs> but, yeah, so it seems like they might be introducing Angela, at least as a minor character, going forward. So I'm interested to see, like, if they continue with that, if her characterization is going to be better than it was in the Mighty Morphin series. Which, between, like, the fact that, it's, like, Gogo has a pretty good track record so far, and, like, Cena yeah. Grace is actually coming on as a writer, which I really admire Cena Grace as a writer, um, just in general, um, you know, not dealing with the fact that he's also one of the, like, he's an openly gay writer in comics, 
Um, and he dealt with all that bullshit with Marvel and eh. Iceman, but, you know, I'll just put that in the show notes for you to read. We won't get into it here. We're a Power Ranger podcast, not an X-Men podcast. Go watch Jay and Miles explain the X-Men. Yeah, or listen to it. But they, do, they sometimes do video reviews. Yeah, go listen to it. Sorry. Yeah, anyway, but... Also, I like the fact that they only touch on hip-hop keto once. Oh, God, yes, once. And everyone's like, what the fuck is this? It was very well drawn, though. Eleanor Carlini, all the props in the world for making yeah. hip-hop keto look cool in a comic. Um, but, yeah, I guess the reason why hip-hop keto comes up is because that's the arc where Jason has disappeared to that other planet we keep mentioning. And so let's just talk about Jason, who is mega shonen syndrome. Yeah, at least, like, Zack looks more like an older athlete teenager. Yeah, because he's supposed to be 16, so he would be one of the older members of the team. But Jason Lee Scott is, like, 15, and he's, like, like Trini said, it's got, like, abs like a monster truck tire, and it's just, like, buff. Yeah, so he's the first character introduced in the comic, and it does specifically say that he's 15 when he's introduced, and I'm like, what universe is this a 15 year old jojo's bizarre adventure part one yeah pretty much so but yeah the thing about jason here is that he he doesn't much like his characterization in the 2017 movie you get to see more of him besides just karate karate leader dude i mean especially because in the 2017 movie he was football leader dude but you got to see more of him there and you get to see more of him here so you actually get to learn that um jason when he was younger, was kind of an asshole bully kid. Yeah. And so he was kind of sent to do karate to try to get better behavior. And it ends up being that he ends up being very repentant in a way about his former self. Especially since uh, his sensei, like, read him to filth. Oh, yeah. Like, that, that sensei of that strip mall dojo, like, read him... I don't think it was a strip ball JoJo because it looked like something in, like, a training center out of Rocky. <laughs> yeah, it did. Like, drawing did it, but, like, basically, like, Jason alludes that it's in a strip mall somewhere. Okay, yeah. So it's not a total, like, when I say strip mall dojo, I mean, like... We're not, like, talking about a um, total McDojo is another name for them. Right. I mean, I just make that joke because I said I was a strip mall dojo black belt. <laughs> Um, but yeah, very McDojo there, but it's like, you know, it's a setup, it's a very clearly an established space and his sensei knows what the fuck he was talking about, mm -hmm. especially when he read, read Jason for filth of him being like a scared little kid who just sort of took his anger out on everyone else. Oh yeah. And only proved it by attacking him. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, so you get to see him be more than just big buff karate dude. And, like, you see him that he's kind of repentant for the person he used to be, which is why Zordon thinks that he's a good leader. Yeah. Um, also, an interesting part about this is, like, so remember how in the Power Rangers movie we had the whole thing about Zack and his mother? Yeah. So you kind of get it here with Jason and his dad. So Jason's dad is sick with some sort of illness, it sounds like it's cancer based on, like, the way it's kind of treated in the comic. Yeah, and uh, unlike Zack's mom, who kind of, well, in the movie, which, first off, Zack and his mom, that that's who they had. Yeah. Um, but also, like, she, it just kind of implied that Zack knew about the illness for a while, whereas, like, Jason's dad totally takes the total toxic masculinity bullshit and it's like, I won't talk about my illness and bring my family down and have them worry about me. I need to be big tough man. If, like, he could punch Zordon, he probably would have. After he has this entire talk with Zordon, begging him to do something for his father and Zordon being like, no, I've learned my lesson. I cannot b interfere with the universe in what way any soy so ever, blah, blah, blah. Which we'll get into a Zordon, but I hope that gets into more in the series goes on. Yeah, Zordon's characterization is very interesting, but like I said, we'll get into it. Um, so basically after that entire talk, Jason basically goes to his dad and tells him, no, we are not dealing, we're not doing this. Like you, like, we are going to handle this as a family. Yeah. Like, you don't want to burden us with your problems. We get that. But we need to talk about this as a family. We need to handle this as a family. Yeah. And it's a very good moment to see him as a leader in that case and, like, see that mature growth there versus, like, just, you know, he's leader because he's 
I am red. I am red. Yeah, seriously. So, Gaius dealing with his side in the Trini stuff is that he's oblivious as hell to it. It's just like, yeah, I'll go train with you. That sounds fun. Yeah, and it's like when fake Matt tells him, oh yeah, Trini is totally in love with you, and like he approaches her about it. She's like, no, I'm not. And he's like, okay. 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 <laughs> um, until so when they get to, so when they do swap powers, swap colors, however you want to refer to it as, um, they can kind of read each other's thoughts. And feelings, and basically from then on out, he can, like, basically there, he's like, wait, you're in love with me? And she's like, what? No. What? And then he's like, no, like, I can feel that, like, when you see me, you feel butterflies in your stomach. And she's like, well, shit. Fuck. <laughs> Yuck. Yuck. Um, so, it, it was really cute to kind of see them have that moment. But then, like, you know, they don't get really get to have be a couple for very long in the comic because they don't want to talk about it with the other rangers yeah. and they almost get caught. And then, like, Kimberly almost figures it out, I think. Yeah. Like, she knows something's up with them, but, like, they won't admit anything to her and she just sort of drops it. And then, like, in Forever Rangers, like, basically Trini kind of breaks up with him and tells them, it's like, I'm a distraction to you. Like, we can't continue this, but we'll always have, like... Blah, 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 planet. Um, we'll always have this weird planet. We'll always have this weird planet that we were stranded on for several days. And we made out there. It was great. <laughs> like teenagers do. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Jason is, um, yeah, Jason's maybe oblivious. and But it was, it was still a really cute relationship. And I hope they touch back on it in the future. Like, you know, maybe do the whole screw light and breezy thing. I've been watching a lot of Brooklyn Nine-Nine lately. I really love yeah. Jake and Amy. But, like, yeah, hopefully I'll touch back in the future. Especially if they may be arcing towards um, Peace Conference. Yeah. And another thing I liked that Jason, again, that I mentioned is Jason was kind of, like, the love interest character. Yeah, like, he was the love interest, not Trini. Because oftentimes in romance, especially teenage romantic comedies, it often involves, like, the girl is the one to be chased after, whereas here it is Jason is the one who's being chased. Yeah. But yeah, no, Jason, I like Jason here. Yeah, Jason's pretty great. So, I mean, we've talk, covered all five rangers, so let's go on to some of our secondary characters, starting with uh, Bulk and Skull. Who are more than just bullies, who then try to figure out who the rangers are, and then who become police officers to get chicks. Yeah. So, like, they get a lot of character arc in this so far. So, like, you get to see, like, Skull's relationship with Billy, which you talked about earlier. Interestingly, in the when in the Homecoming arc, there's a whole secondary story about Bulk running to be Homecoming King. Yes. He, it seems like he runs as a joke to start, but then, like, he actually sincerely gets into it, and everybody actually kind of comes around and votes. Seems like they do vote Bulk to be Homecoming King. Yeah, and, and he and um, Skull get dates. Yeah, and it's really cute. So basically, there's the school Mean Girls. Um, they get mad that Bulk want, is running for Homecoming King, and they basically bully Bulk into giving up the spot and threaten his date Haley by covering, basically threaten to pull a carry and cover her in paint. And Bulk, being ever the gentleman and doesn't want to see anybody get hurt as much as he likes to bully people. Um, basically just causes a scene and gets immediately disqualified just to protect his friends. And Haley kind of dumps him a little bit because it's like, I could have dealt with that. Yeah. And, but my favorite thing about that bit was when they got dumped by their dates. Skull was like, ah, oh, her poetry wasn't that great anyway. Yeah, and he's like, you totally would have won Homecoming Hingo, right? And he's like, oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. So also, like, on the flip side with Skull is that you get to see him, like, there's actually an arc where he goes on a date with Kim. So Skull's date with Kim just kind of starts because Kim and Matt broke up. Matt mm -hmm. dumps Kimberly, and Kimberly just kind of is like, oh, hey, I want to show them over it, and I'm going to date Skull. Which Skull is super into at first, but then as the date goes on, he realizes, it's like, oh, I'm just the rebound date. Yeah. And Kim is still very much hurting from, like, her breakup. And has this really great, like, when Kim's like, oh, no, I'll prove it to you, let's kiss. And Skull's like, no. Like, in the TV show, particularly first season Skull, would have been like, oh, hell yeah, let's kiss. Yeah. Uh, whereas, like, this Skull is like, no, I, I was like, I would love to kiss you. That is my dream. 
as a teenage boy, but you know, your your eyes it was basically like your eyes remind me of my mother when our dad left. Yeah, so you kind of understand that, like especially in that moment, you kind of understand a lot of where Skull came from. And that might have affected his relationship with Billy. Yeah. So it was, yeah, it was nice to see Bulk and Skull, like, yeah, they're still bullies like they were in the TV series. But, like, you get to see them more as people and not just bullies. Fact iron parrot bullies. Yeah. So, like, and we talked about with Bulk and Kim in the future. And it's actually kind of sad. Yeah. Um, like... Bulk tries to keep a positive spin on it because he talked about how, like, you know, if he told him when he was a teenager that he'd be fighting alongside the Power Rangers, like, he would have not believed it. And he says, like, this is probably the... I think he says that it's the worst way it could have happened, like, you know, end of the world. But, like, he's still happy that he kind of got to get to know Kim and do all of that. Mm -hmm. Um, But also interesting about Bulk, he's still fat in the future, which is great. It's great. Like, he's not drawn skinny fat or, you know, he suddenly didn't lose weight because he's a resistance fighter. He's just a fat person. And that is great because, like, I'm chunky. You're you're actually fat. And it's just like, people don't realize, like, fat people are athletic, all this stuff. It's like fat bodies are more than just, like, the stereotype. But yeah, so we keep talking about Matt, so let's actually talk about Matt. So Matt is a new character introduced into this particular series. Um, so his name's Matt Cook. He is one of the most popular guys in school, another football player, gets along with everybody, yeah. loves everybody, and he's also Kim's boyfriend through most of the series so far. Yeah. So when I say it's like so far, I mean everything up to Forever Rangers. And we really did think he was going to get fridge because he gets so much trauma like, thrown at him. Oh, my God. And they actually deal with him going through the trauma instead of being like, no, everything's fine now. Yeah, so basically, the, the here's the short version of the timeline, is that during, like, the fight at the end of, like, issue four, so the end of volume one, um, he gets injured and Kimberly takes him over to, like, where, where all of the injured people are, mm-hmm. and he's, like, is to- she's told by who appears to be an, an adult that, like, an adult or authority figure, um, like, oh, we're gonna take care of him. He'll be fine. Here's the problem. Uh, that adult was actually a super putty invented by Finster. Yeah. And, um, basically, well, one, the super putty kidnaps him, takes him up to the moon, goes to Earth, impersonates Matt for, like, an entire arc. Yes. And basically, at some point, Gains its own, well, it was always sentient, but basically it ends up rebelling against Rita and tries its best to rebel against Rita, but then, like, there's a switch turned on in its head and it, like, re- ends up fighting against the Power Rangers and they have to kill it and defeat it and, you know, typical. But let's, let's talk about Matt instead of the Super Putty. I mean, I just have to explain that part. Yeah. Uh, but then, so Matt is on the moon. They try to, like, get information out of him about the Power Rangers because he, he doesn't know they're Power Rangers, but they're still like, you know the Power Rangers, tell us more about them. And so he escapes on his own, um, making basically making a shiv out of a fork. He escapes on, makes it back to Earth, warns everybody that there's an alien invasion about to happen. He ends up getting super PTSD through this entire experience, which, yes, obviously. Yeah. Um, like, when you first see him when he's back on Earth, like, he's in a base, he's in his, like, folks' pa- basement just not wanting to escape. Yeah, he's, like, covered himself in a blanket and has, like, that thousand-yard stare. It's very obvious. It's PTSD. Yeah. Um, so he thinks, like, he wants to do something to stop the, like, the aliens, and, like, he thinks that he's connected to the Power Rangers somehow, like, like Don't... somehow the Power Rangers are connected to him, so he thinks he's, like, got some destiny there. Yeah, and, and actually, like, does, like, like, a bulletin board of it. And... Yeah, he goes full Pepe Sylvia on yeah. it. Yeah. Um, so he does find out he does kind of have a connection through the to the Power Rangers, but not in the way he thinks, in that Kim, Ranger Slayer Kim from the future, comes to him, because she is traumatized seeing him again because she w- literally watched him die in the future. Yeah. So she goes to him, tells him everything, and then so he goes to the Power Rangers and tell, tells them, I know... You have to tell, be honest with me. Tell me the truth. And even then, they can't tell him. Yep. And so he, uh, Break. so he ends up breaking up with Kimberly because yeah. of it. And, um, yeah, poor Matt. Though it seems like him and Kimberly at the end of Forever Rangers were on a path to reconciliation. Um, and especially. 
Oh, sorry. Oh, no. They're going on a path of reconciliation, but I'm not sure about them dating because of how the latest arc of Go-Go is starting. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying they're going to date again. I'm just saying they're reconciling from where they they were. They might, like, at least become good friends again. Yeah. I mean, hopefully not a love triangle. That would be so overdone. Oh, that would be so overdone. But, you know, we'll get to that in a future episode where we talk more about Go-Go. Yes. But, yeah, poor Matt. Yeah, poor poor Matt. But I, I really did like that instead of being like, he rescued himself from the moon. I, A, didn't like he, I, I A, liked that he did not get fridged, because I was totally expecting him to get fridged on the moon and everything, and yeah. Kimberly having to deal with his dead body. But I also liked that instead of like, oh, no, I'm fine, it's like, no, I'm very traumatized. Yeah, it was, it was a nice touch. But yeah, we've, we've covered Rita a little bit, so let's really get into Rita. Let's get into Rita and Squad. Holy shit! She's an actual warlord! Yep, that's that's basically what I was gonna yell, is that, yeah. So, um, yeah, as, as Jay said, Rita is an actual warlord in this. Like, she's been conquering planets for thousands of years under the name, uh, in the name of her father, Master Vile. Um, yeah, holy shit. She is scary, campy, is she real hot? Nut. Yeah, we don't have the nut button with us right now, but, like, yeah, so Rita has years and years and years and years, no, not millennia, but, like, thousands of years of experience, and she even attained her squad through, like, nefarious means. I also really like that story about her brother. Yeah. Oh. With, like, I wanted a dragon, so my brother got it instead, so I just made the dragon hate him. No, the specific story, and this was, like, some Game of Thronesian shit. Basically, the entire story there was that she basically stole the dragon's food from, like, basically whenever Rita would go to feed the dragon, she would sneak in and steal the food. And then, um, eventually after a while, when the dragon was starved, it bit Rita. And so basically her whole health strategy there was like, well, if dad's not gonna let me have a dragon, nobody gets to have a dragon. <laughs> Yeah, bitch. Yeah, I'm, yeah, but basically, like I said, with her being really hot, it was, like, the way that, like, Dan Mora and Eleanor Carlini drew her, she was just absolutely beautiful, um, which just, it kind of adds to the fact that, like, oh, she's a terrifying warlord, uh, with cheekbones that can cut glass. Yeah, she has definitely cheekbones that can cut bla- glass, but let's go into her squad. Yeah. Uh, Goldar is not, he's still a dumb body monkey cat. Yeah. Um, but he's not completely useless. He has some good lines in it. Like, I really did love it. Is there at least some matter of blood sacrifice over the homecoming dance? Which Finster's response of, there's punch? Um, yeah. So, the way, the way that she gets Zed... Oh, not Zed. It involves Zed, though. Um, so the way she gets Goldar to come to her side is basically she makes him, like, swear a blood oath to her on the battlefield, telling him that, like... Do you want to go to Zed, who, like, runs, like, an empire of paranoia? Or go to me, who will, like, let you, like, get your revenge against Zed for killing your brother and rewards your loyalty. His brother's name is Silverback, by the way. Yeah, it's a, that's a thing. That's a thing in Power Rangers. But, yeah, so that's how that happens. Blood oaths. It's... Uh, They don't really do too much with Goldar's backstory, but he does have enough to understand where he's coming from. And also, like, he's, yeah, he's a dumb jock, but he's not, like, completely fucking useless like he is in the series. Yeah, so, but yeah, moving on down the squad. Now, our next was Squat, which that was the story that really made me go, holy fucking shit, Rita's fucking intense here. Yeah, how she got Squat and Babu was just really intense, but Squat especially. So Squat was, has basically been with Rita since he was a baby. And um, you do see the backstory there. I forget what the name of his like particular species or planet was. Um, He was an offering from his parents so their lives would be spared. And she took the baby and still killed his parents. Yep. She's like, oh no, the baby's great. You guys can die. You're a squat little thing, aren't you? Yeah. So, Babu, is, his story's a little bit more intellectual. So, it's like, she just ha- does you know, she's not raised Babu from a child and, you know. Yeah. Um, so, Babu is a alien known as a Pongi. And so, he was an advisor to his king who uh, tried to go to war against Rita. So, when we first see his side of the story, it's, it appears that... Um, 
it appears that the his arm like the army turned to stone after drinking uh to prepare for their fight against rita repulsa and her army and he says that he tried to stop them and basically begs rita on the spot to kill him yeah he's like let me die yeah and she's like no i could use somebody like you and just basically shoop. and and then when essentially rita is uses him later to test the loyalty of her her squad uh, when she gets the dragon power coin and is trying to activate it and everything. And, uh, he talks about the rest of the story about, uh, because the, his king refused to bend knee and he did not want to basically see Yeah, basically a he, war. he didn't want to see a war. He begged his, he basically begged his king to surrender to Rita his king refused because he didn't want to die a coward. So, um, like, so basically, Babu ends up developing a thing to turn uh, everyone in the stone and just basically uses a party essentially to do it. Yeah, it was um, basically just put a potion in their drinks. Uh, but basically, he said, "I will never sacrifice my life for another stupidity." So you you see that he is basically playing a little underhand to get what he wants basically what he wanted there was to fucking survive the war yeah and it got him a somewhat cushy position as like an advisor to rita um so and we talked a little about finster so finster we don't get to see as much of in terms of like babu squat goldar um, but it seems like he's been working for rita for a really long time and is basically kind of her second-in-command aide-de-camp creator general whatever you want to put it because a lot of his creations have helped Rita overtake worlds yeah they're not just bumbling creations like you see in Power Rangers like they are actually legit threats that have helped Rita conquer worlds in fact the super putty was pretty threatening yeah it seemed like that one was definitely one of like oh shit this one might actually kill them um so yeah she she, Finster has basically been working for Rita for ages, and ha- his creations have helped Rita take over worlds without her even being there. Yeah. So he's really expedited the uh, the warlord process, as it were. But so that was the end of Rita Squad. But we need to talk about Fienna. Yes. So Fienna, um, just a character introduced in this. She is Rita Repulsa's mother, because we've never really heard much about Rita's mom in the entirety of Power Rangers. We've heard a lot about Master Vile, but not her mom yes so fienna is like a powerful sorceress um and they have a relationship yeah Yeah. it's kind of so basically um what happens is she was originally i think like married to matt was like one of master vile's like wives or something yeah she was married to master vile and when she was pregnant with rita she realized how evil he actually was so she defected actually to zordon's side yeah, so she defected to Zordon's side, um, had, basically had, uh, Rita in secret, and named her Rita because I guess on her world, like, Rita is a name, basically means balance of the universe. Yes. And she wanted Rita to be a force for good in the universe. And then when Rita was, like, two or three, like, she was able to walk, yeah. but it was still, like, enough to get her just in time for, like, uh, to mold her, to mold her into an evil, um, she was running away from Master Vile, you know, trying to get away with Rita, because yeah. he found out where they were, and, uh, got defeated by the Tangas, and the Tangas ended up kidnapping Rita back to Master Vile. Yeah, so it's, it's implied that that's where Fianna died, like, her physical form dies. Yes. Um. We dealt with her metaphysical form. Yeah, so, also one, first off... Eleanor Carlini drew the Tengas to be fucking terrifying. Yes, they actually, I think it helps that they are in a comic medium as opposed to a, um, a television me, medium. Yeah, a television medium where, yeah, like, feathery, like, bird costumes aren't exactly terrifying no matter how, like, well you make them. Right. But anyway, so... Rita ends up, you know, being raised by Vile from then on out and becomes, well, not the balance of the universe. She's not a force for good. But, so here's the thing about Fienna. Even when she learns the truth about Rita, because Rita, when Rita first brings her physical form back, like, she 
tells her this really good lie about running from her father and needing her help and blah, 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 blah. Which I do think, like, Rita's actually legitimately afraid of Vile. Yeah, because she is in the series, too. Right. So I would absolutely believe that's what happened. Um, so I, I feel like there is a little bit of truth there is what I was more of what I was trying to say. Yeah. Um, so Fianna, but yes, Fianna ends up seeing Rita for who she is. And here's the thing. Fianna actually still believes that there's good in Rita. Yes. And she does say this line at one point when Rita's dealing with her henchmen and it's like she has the option to basically just kill them and said she just sort of spares them but gives them like, you know, a warning. Um, but basically Fianna's like, but someone that can still feel love, that person is never beyond redemption. And yeah. so she believes that Rita is redeemable. And even into the last moment where Rita's basically like, I can kill your phys- your metaphysical form to activate the dragon power coin. Fianna never stops believing in Rita. Yeah. And it's kind of like a very sad moment mm-hmm. for to watch Fianna die. Because you just, like, Fianna still believes in the good of Rita. Yeah. And Rita just kind of has this look on her face. Yeah, like, she, it does seem a little sad that she has, this is the last she's ever going to see of her mother. Yeah. Though the interesting thing about um, Fianna was that she's wearing the dragon shield. Yes. So I wonder if, like, we haven't really seen the last of her. Yes. Um, but, yeah, so we've talked a little about Zordon because, like, Fianna was allied with Zordon, so let's talk about Zordon and Alpha. Yeah. Um, you get a little bit more backstory to Zordon. Uh, he's, and kind of a way, the way he is, the way he is, uh, but not too much. Like, it really doesn't go into him, uh, why he is so hesitant to help Jason and his father. Yeah. But, but he's still ultimately Zordon at the end of the day. Like, not a lot has really changed besides yeah. we know that he has not always been in a glass tube. We know that he's been fighting the war for against Rita for eons. Um, and uh, I do believe, is it hinted that, that him in the tube is basically him either being trapped or he's dead and that is his metaphysical form? I think it's similar to Fianna in this case. Um, mm-hmm. I'd have to go back over the issue, but... I, I think, yeah, it's, it's his metaphysical form in a tube. Yeah, so... But basically, he just wants to keep the universe safe because he's learned the hard way that if you try to interfere in ways that you should not interfere, it's going to blow back in your face. Yeah. Um, But he does also realize at some point, he's like, I'm treating you guys like children and not Power Rangers. I trusted you with this power. I should really trust you. Yes. Um, Instead of Zordon in the movie, he was like, fuck you guys. I'm Zordon. Brian Cranston Zordon is a dick. (laughs) Dick. He's very good in the part. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, um, but yeah, Alpha does get a little bit more of a change in this. Like, he's actually very capable and helpful and not just running around going, ay, 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 ay. He's, he's capable, he's more helpful, he helps Billy out a lot. Like, you get to see the relationship between him and Billy more than you do in the TV series. Yeah. Um, he also gets to be Iron Man at some point. I mean, he looks more like Rescue. I only say that just because, like, he basically makes a body out of like a suit that billy was working on so he's all blue and has like some wings and all that so he he looks like rescue um but yeah we also find out alpha alpha five is not the first alpha heads alpha five we actually get to meet the first alpha alpha one and he is a terrible thing Oh my god. Uh, so Alpha One is, um... He's HK47 by look and also by personality. Yeah, basically if at any point in the series he had said, Hey, sexy mama, wanna kill all humans? It would not have been surprising. No. So basically he was always built to be an attack bot. So, like, he was there to help Zordon fight the war against Rita and her armies. And, um... Whereas Alpha Five, when he was made... He was meant to be more of a help bot. Yeah. So, yeah, so he's always been an attack bot. And, like, he also ends up almost killing Goldar. The Rangers are just like, whoa, 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 whoa. We don't do that around here. Yeah, we, we gotta, it's like, Goldar sucks, but we gotta stop him. Yeah. Um. So they end up having to fight him, and it's a whole thing. But, so basically, the reason why, like, they almost adopt Alpha One into their lives is because, besides Trini... 
Well, Dwan, Trini doesn't trust him, and she shouldn't. Yeah, she shouldn't. He's like, she's like, you look really like a killbot. Yeah, he, like, he is not designed to look friendly at all. He's very much clearly got a killbot face. Yeah. But basically, the other rangers are just like, hey, our lives are in shambles. Like, we could use some help with, like, fighting, like, the evil forces of the universe. We would really like to get some sleep. Yeah. Which I can't really blame them. But then, like, when Alpha One does actually try to murder shit, they're like, oh, no. Oh, no. And they have to destroy Alpha One. So, yeah, please don't actually do a murder. Please don't murder. We do not condone murder here in Ranger's Plane. Anyway, so let's go on to our odds and ends now that we've gone over all the characters and a lot of the story details. Yeah. Uh, Ernie's shitty facial hair was a thing. Yeah, so one of the issues where you learn a little bit more about Zack's backstory, um, you get to see, like, the opening of the, um, the youth center and the juice bar, and he has, like, this, I I can't even really, it's like a soul patch goatee combo that's just, like, sort of this thin little thing, a ring around his chin. It's real bad, guys. It's real bad. It, it was like they tried to draw Guy Fieri, I think, and just failed. Yeah, so luckily they that only happened once. But it was beautiful in its terribleness. I, I, and I think maybe it was intentionally to be terrible because it was supposed to be, like, the 90s. Or probably early 2000s based on, like, yeah. when the comic is currently... Cause Basically, all of the Power Ranger comics from Boom, as much like the Buffy comics from Boom, mm-hmm. is that they all take place in modern day. Yeah. So, similar stories, but in this case, it would be, like, early 2000s. So, yeah, having that shitty facial hair tracks. Um, I really love the artwork from it. Oh, yes. Like, so I remember when I first started reading it and the comic shop I was at, we just talked about how gorgeous the artwork was. Yeah, Dan Mora has always been super solid. Uh, with the artwork, like I said, he worked a little on the WWE comics, so I was familiar mm-hmm. with him there. I think there's another comic, I'm just blanking on it, that was recommended to me that Dan Moore did the artwork for. Uh, he might have done it for the Buffy comic? I don't think no, so. No, it was a completely, it was an indie comic or something. Okay, well, we'll... That Dan Moore did the art. We'll look it up and put it in the show notes when we figure it out. Um, or it could have been one of the cover artists. I don't recall, I just remember we were talking about the art and everything, and it's like, oh, you should check out this book. I think it was a Christmas book or something. Okay. Um, but yeah, there's plenty of, like, other, like, but yeah, being Boom, like, they have, like, you know, Eleanor Carlini also does great art. I really love the two arcs that she did the art for, especially the way she drew Rita with, again, the cheekbones that cut glass. Yeah. Um, but, like, they're, like, Boom being Boom, they also had, like, a million amazing, like, alternate covers, which you can see in the trades. And my favorite thing about the alternate covers is they took on, like, 80s and 90s um, movie posters. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, like, the latest arc is doing, like, I think 90s um, albums, which is cool. Um, But, yeah, uh, actually one of my favorite sets, it's like, this actually might be the artist they're talking about. Were they talking about uh, Guruhiru? Might have. So, Guruhiru is actually an artist team from Japan, and they actually did a couple, they did a few covers that were super cute, and I think they were fried pie variants. Um, but yeah, Guruhiru has also done art on, um, Gwenpool, uh, which I think is like the Unstoppable, no, Unstoppable, they did art, art for the latest arc of Unstoppable Wasp, though. Okay, cool. Um, and then but they did art for Gwenpool, they did Unstoppable Wasp, I think they may have done some covers for, like, Squirrel Girl, they've done a lot of stuff for Marvel, basically. Uh, no, like, we were talking about an indie comic. Okay, so. well. We'll look that up. Klaus? Was it, like, Grant Morrison's Santa Claus book? Yes. Okay, good. Yeah, I heard it was, like, stupid sexy Santa. <laughs> but I, what do I else do you expect from Grant Morrison? I love that weirdo. <laughs> yes, thank you. Ashley figured it out. Because I'm like, what else was a Christmas book that came out from Boom? Right, Grant Morrison Santa comic. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's go to our final verdict. Yeah, because like, like we, we didn't have too much with odds and ends, mostly because we talked about everything with the characters. Yeah, like we're looking at our runtime right now. It's like, oh, this is actually way longer than our previous like recording. We just had a lot to talk about, but let's get into our final verdict. Yeah, so... This is, so, for me, I liked how this built upon Mighty Morphin with while making it its own story. I like the fact that it was more mature than Power Rangers without having to go and be grimdark about it. Um, like I said, like Jay said at the beginning of the episode, it's like it felt like a good middle place between the 2017 Power Rangers and Mighty Morphin. 
Um, yeah, it, this actually might be my favorite version of Mighty Morphin so far. Uh, the piggyback on Ashley, it was a wonderful modern take on Power Rangers, and the characters felt alive and, like, teenagers. And what I liked about that versus the 2017 movie is that the teen, like, some of us are goody two-shoe teenagers, for shit's sakes. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, some of it, you know, and, but... You know, we were still teenagers and figuring out life and everything. So, right. you know, it wasn't like delinquents. It was like, no, these are good kids, but they're still kids. I mean, I still love the delinquent teens from 2017. Oh, no, Don't get me wrong. They're great, but I kind of like the middle ground there. And the, it had it was heart-wrenching, but at the same time, like, it was hopeful, like, it should be with Power Rangers. And I, I also think this is my favorite version of Mighty Morphin, uh, with the exception, with uh, along with the 2017 movie. Yeah, so we saved the best for last. We definitely did. Uh, as always, we want to, well, we're using new equipment now, but we want to give an extended thank you to David Tideberg for the old equipment and letting us use that. Uh, Joe Hunter for the bitch and art. All right, and uh, you can, as always, you can find us at Ranger Splain on Twitter and Instagram now. We have an Instagram. Yeah, Lisa from No Pink Spandex at Ranger Stop bullied us into getting an Instagram. So I wouldn't say bully; she she persuaded us. Yeah, she said she would use Twitter more if we got an Instagram. So yay! Um, but yeah, we do have an Instagram now. That's also Ranger Splain, and of course, RangerSplain.wordpress.com is where you can find show notes and all of that fun stuff. Uh, podcast channel, wherever you can find us, is Ranger Splain. That's going to be iTunes, uh, podcast.com, Stitcher, CastBox, basically anywhere else that gets an RSS feed that links to um, podcasts. You can find us there. Um, we also have a Patreon and... Um, Bex LLs? Like, it's... You know, let's just say Bex. Bex, yes. Thank you, Bex. Um, thank you for your continued support. Um, also, as always, you can find us on our personal social media. I am Miss Kitty F at Twitter and Instagram. I am Jay Jackets on Instagram and Jackets Sexual on Twitter. Okay, so we're finally out of Mighty Morphin. Next up. Wait, 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 wait. Jay, I just gotta say something. Okay. So we've been dealing with Mighty Morphin for like, what, seven months now? So I've decided, I'm making this executive decision right now. I'm taking over the podcast next month. Okay. We're going to watch the only toku I've seen before we started this Rangers playing journey. Oh, shit. That's right. Next month, we're going to cover Cutie Honey the Live. Not going to guy. That's right, bitch. Going to guy. The power can't protect you now. No.